Yeah. <laughs> all these giggles are going on here. Sorry, right? sorry, that's all right. No, 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 no. Oh no, she was. I was in the loop. Were you really? Yeah, you said I thought I said it before I went. Never mind. No. Uh, so draw a circle. Um, I'm giving the girls their um, their little exercise for today, and they pretty know what's coming. Draw a circle, um, and with the Holy Spirit, I want you to ask Him how much of your time is actually His. How much uh, is under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? I want you to be totally ruthless with yourself. Uh, fill out how much of your life is actually under the benevolent control of the Holy Spirit and let him show you the areas he's asking you to let go of so he can come in his fullness. I picked up um, several times this morning that people have been talking about fullness, not measure. Uh, and this is what he wants to give us. But in order to do it, as we've said before, something's got to go. Because it's the, the displacement, life in the Spirit is about displacement. So I want you to draw your circle and find out how you spend your time, your energies, your resources, um, what takes up your thinking time and who, well he'll show you where you're actually um, not, not given, not, it's not given over and then he'll show you what he wants to take because I wouldn't presume um, to do that. So we're really now getting into um, the essence of the weekend, which is growth. The Holy Spirit's goal with us is maturity, maturity, and maturity. So I was reminded this morning of this a spiritual maturity. It's a, it's a little um, questionnaire for you, and it's a self-assessment test. And, and at the top I've written, please read this in the Holy Ghost. And the scripture is the one that I'm actually going to use one of them while I'm going through the Nepios to Huios or Huios uh, teaching when we get round to that. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 3, 1 to 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. For you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? How tragic it is in the physical realm to see an adult who's never grown mentally but still behaves like a babe and needs a babe's attention. Borum, whoever he was, in one of his books, shares one of his boyhood experiences. While living in an aunt's home, he noticed a bedroom door which was continually locked. With a boy's curiosity, he had hid in a closet in the corridor and waited. Later, his aunt came, unlocked the door, and he saw lying on the bed a boy in his teens with the mind of a child. His heart was moved as he watched his aunt take the boy in her arms and cry, I have loved you all these years, yet you have never known me. How long have you known the Lord? How well do you know him? You will not grow without a continual revelation of God received by communion with him, obedience to him and living in his word. Do you believe your spiritual growth is commensurate with the time you've known God? 
Have you neglected the means of growth? What adjustments do you believe are necessary in your life to correct this? And then you're given a space. You already have the answer, Sylvia. You got yours this morning, so this won't apply to you. Repentance is a change of mind, a turning from the direction in which we are travelling. If you feel on reflecting on the above that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you, then there is a prayer for you to say. You won't need one of these. So you can have one if you like, but you won't need it. So I'm instructed by the Lord to give you those first. <coughs> because this is what he gave me this morning. Um... I was very sleepless the first night of the of uh, the, the the school because there were things on my mind um, that I, I was talking to the Lord about and that, that were generating deep down that they were beyond words if you know what I mean um, because one of the gifts He's given me is the ability to see beyond what people say to me and to see how the situation really is with them so that I know exactly where they are in Christ, even if they may tell me about where they say they are. So I'm making this as general as I can here. But well done, you've made it to day three. This day may not be quite as comfortable as the other two. I believe God is giving someone a serious opportunity to do business with him and move on. If whoever it is cooperates at this point, he promises a divine acceleration into his purposes for your life. We listened to Roger Price's tape on God is Love last night and one of the things that we heard was that his love seeks the best for the object that is loved. Unlike our human love, which we touched on yesterday, that is self-referential, which means that we seek only what's best for us. Our love is basically selfish and self-centred. It's the result of the fall. And as I said earlier, some of you may have prayed the Lord changed my love prayer at the last battle meeting. If you did, this will be that. So whether you prayed or not, I have to tell you that we are in a time, and I say this as lovingly as I can, when God is not going to wait any longer. He is coming for his bride, whether she is ready or not. God's objective with us never changes. His declared intent is that we might be transformed into the image of his Son. He is bringing many sons to glory. Sonship is not automatic. His object is that we grow up. That means there comes a time in our lives when we stop dodging and running and frustrating the grace of God and stand still under the hand of God that hurts sometimes and let him have and do what he wants. I often hear Christians say, well, God knows how long it's going to take me to do X, Y and Z. Yes, the answer is he does. But that doesn't signify his approval or agreement. It is simply that you won't move your feet. His love doesn't change towards you. But what about a divine acceleration into the things he wants to do? Have you ever thought he brings you the quickest way you will come? You govern the time it takes. Graham Cook says, and I've come to the conclusion myself, and it was good to hear him, that we as a church are holding up the purposes of God by our recalcitrance. 
and that is stubborn resistance to the authority of another or someone who stubbornly resists authority or control. It's not nice, is it, when we profess to love him? He says, if you love me, you will obey me. In other words, your love is demonstrated by your obedience to me, not by your resistance. Acts 17.30 says that in the past God winked at or overlooked this, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, to change their minds. And the question I ask you this morning is, is it time for you to change your mind, change your mindset, get into alignment, get serious, stop making excuses? And I'm speaking to one person specifically here. This day be the, may be the most difficult for you. You may need to come face to face with the fact that it is you that is holding up your progress. That you are the reason that you're not where you thought you were or should be by now. So what am I doing right now? I'm seeking the best for you because love always seeks the best for the object of its love. And you are the object of God's love. And it's my job to hold out to you the best, his best for you. And his best for you is that you come into everything that Jesus died to give you. And I will not shrink from bringing as strong a word as I need to. So as Graham would say, don't keep him waiting. Excusing and defending ourselves doesn't work. My mum used to say to me, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool him. You can excuse and defend yourself to people and to yourself, but he knows what you're hiding and protecting, and he knows you need this word this morning. So whoever it is, don't start feeling sorry for yourself. He says to you this day, come in ready or not. No more playing hide and seek. My bride, I'm coming for you. This happened on another of the schools, and I say to you what I said then. If you think it may be you but need confirmation, please speak to me privately and I'll tell you because the Lord has shown me who he's pinpointing. One lady came up to me last time this happened. I said, it's me, it's me, it's me. I've got to see you in the bedroom. It's me, it's me, it's me. I said, no, it isn't. Yes, it is. It's me. I know it's me. I know it's me. <laughs> I think you were here on that one, weren't you? No, no, no. Oh, well, you weren't. Oh, you maybe knew nothing about it. Um, and um, anyway, she finally believe that it wasn't for her. Lost my place. Da, 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 da. And then the one it was for. Just all day went past and nobody came up to me except the one who said it was me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And I said, no, 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 it's not you, it's not you. And then the one it was for was in the kitchen making some cocoa or something. And she said, it's me, isn't it? And I said, there was nobody else about. And I'd ask the Lord that there would be nobody else about. And I said, yes. She said, I don't like your delivery. <laughs> All I said was yes. <laughs> so it's entirely up to the person concerned. And I think that whoever it is will know right now who I'm speaking about. So please don't ask me questions about what it means. God hasn't told me that. He's only told me to say this and give you the opportunity to respond to him. I can't fill in any details. You'll have to ask him that from for yourself 
and I know from past experience I get a hail of questions that I just can't answer because I'm simply a mouthpiece. Uh, and you can imagine me this morning, you're all coming in, blowing bubbles and <laughs> enjoying the presence of the Lord, and I'm sitting That's here thinking, okay. don't help me, Lord. And then I came and sat down, and it says, dare to discipline. I thought, yeah, I know. Yeah. I will do it, Lord, I promise. I said to Joyce as I went past the kitchen, if I die, I die. I said, okay, past the kitchen. <laughs> So come to me if you want to put your mind at rest or if you think it could be you and, it, and you aren't sure either way. See, there's a lifetime, there's a shelf life to the opportunities God holds out. And uh, you'll recognise this because you actually gave it to, to us here. Yeah. Uh, it's Graham Cook on the 10th of July 2004 at the River Centre. And this is what it is. When the opportunity of a lifetime comes, we must make sure that we act within the lifetime of that opportunity. I believe God is here to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm declaring that there is a season for us here in this church. The opportunity of a lifetime is upon us now. Each move of God has a season for us to respond and a time allowed for us to get in on what God is doing and not miss it. You are responsible for your own spirituality, nobody else. God is the architect of what is planning in you, but you have to give him planning permission. Sometimes I think, you know, that the church thinks he just waits there with a smile on his face saying, oh, well, bless them, they'll get there eventually. And, beloved, this is where we really do need to know the ways of God. This is really his love in action. He wants the best for us but he won't wait for us forever. There comes a time when he draws the line. And I personally have seen it in people's lives a number of times. It's like, I've heard, I have heard Joyce Meyer say the same thing. He draws a line. Mm. I've had people that I have been ministering to and God says, that's enough. You have given them all that I will allow you to give them. And they have not responded in that. And I have to withdraw the help that I've been giving them. And they don't understand because they've been playing with the grace of God, thinking it's just going to go on endlessly. But he just does draw a line. doesn't mean he doesn't love you. doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It simply means that you had a certain time in which to respond. And because you didn't know his ways, you didn't do it. So sometimes we have to step into that opportunity, despite our fears or whatever is holding us back, because it's like last chance saloon. As I said, we aren't going to lose our salvation. But he can't wait for us any longer and we won't come into what he has for us in fullness if we don't move at that particular point. He has to, as it were, leave us behind. I'm not talking healing issues here. I'm talking about willfulness, which is excused as something else. Face it if that's what you're doing, because that's how God sees it. He wants us to get our fear in the right place. If we fear him in the proper way, we will fear nothing else. It's just like the dust bowl prophecy. There will be lights that will be left behind because they aren't ready. Personally, I don't want to be one of those. And I will make every decision necessary to keep in the forefront of what God's doing in this hour. I will give him what he wants. So that said, um, I'll finish it there. And when we go on to look at growth, maybe this afternoon, uh, from Nepios to Huios, you'll see what the implications are of the process. 
during the course of the time that I have ministered healing and whatever to God's people, I have seen people lose their inheritance. That doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but there is an inheritance to come into in this life. Um, and we have to be mindful of the ways of God. If you want to come into your inheritance, declare to him, I want to come into everything you've got for me. I do not want to miss this chance because God has moved on. We are in a new era in God, not just a new season. We are in a new era. And we need to catch up and jump on the bus, as it were, not get ourselves knocked down by it like Grace managed to. <laughs> jump on it um, because it's moving. Um, I won't go into the ins and outs of how I've seen people lose their opportunity. One was so, so sad. And she came to me and she had the sign of the marred sash. Those of you who know, I think it's Ezekiel, Jeremiah, where he had the sash and God said, go and bury it. He had a brand new sash and God said, go and bury it. And then he said, now go and dig it up. And the sash was marred because it was covered in clay. And God said, this is what Israel is like to me. It's useless. And she, God gave her that because she was trained for the ministry. She, she was waiting for a pastorate. She plasted with flying colours, and she, but she wanted a man's arms around her. And guess what was given to her? That was her test. And she lost. She lost it. Because God's not going to trust you with his people if you can't be trusted with controlling your own bodily appetites, as it were. And so she lost her inheritance. I don't know whether she'll be reinstated, but Paul says in one place, you know, about how, uh, lest I be cast away, lest I be cast away as reprobate. He means lest I be put on the heap as being useless because I didn't pass the test. Mm -hmm. And most often we don't know when we're going through tests. And because we have misunderstood the grace of God, and in the church you hear so much about, oh, well, God knows how long it's going to take me to get to any place. And you think, yeah, he sure does. That's why you might miss the bus, darling. Because we need to understand in these days the ways of God's working with us. He is good, he is kind, he is generous. But comes the time, there was a girl I worked with for a year. And suddenly God said, that's it. And she, she had had, op and she said to me afterwards, he gave me the opportunity of a lifetime, didn't he? I said, yeah, he did. Took me off it. It all broke loose. So um, have a little look at your forms between now and lunchtime. And then this afternoon you can do your little, after lunch you can do your little circle. And we'll resume at three and then we'll have a look. But, and you should be all awake then if you've had a little zoos after your lunch. Um, the process between uh, Nepios and Huios. So well done, as I said, you've made it to day three. It always gets a bit tough by the time we sort of get three quarters of the way through. God sort of says, right, okay, now I've got them. <laughs> Let's do the business. <laughs> okay, be blessed and don't be fearful, whatever you do. Just do business with him. Give him what he asks. Give the man, pay the price. Fill your basket with good things and then don't want to pay at the checkout.
much. There we go. Right. So this uh, part of the weekend is about growing in God and, and understanding the ways of God. And as I said before, it feels as if the whole weekend's been about growing because, of course, that's what it's about when you're in the hands of God, putting away childish things and recognising where we are and determining to go on and grow on because God is looking for mature sons. So this session will help you to find out where you are right now, taking on this look at yourself as if you haven't been already, and understand what God might be saying to you in order that you might grow. And the first scripture is Hebrews um, 5.12. Some of you may be familiar with. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Bear in mind as I'm going through, I'm taking you now from Nepios to Huios. To, from the baby in arms, the babe on the milk, right through to the fully mature son. So you'll be able to pinpoint where you are. You'll probably be able to pinpoint maybe where people who you, you know are and how to encourage them along uh, in the growth process. So for by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles. Interesting criticism of believers who've heard good stuff for years, but their hearing hasn't progressed to the point of doing, so they're called babies. And there's a list of things there. They need teaching on the first principles. They need milk. They're not ready for solids. He talks about uh, the doctrine of baptisms, faith, and the basics. And most of us here have been parents, so you know that when the time comes that if our sons and daughters are going to grow up, they've got to get off the milk and we've got to get them onto solids and that's more of a battle with some of them than others just like Christians you know sometimes they want to be right on the on the solid stuff and give themselves indigestion and other times you can't get them off the bottle for love no money they're hanging onto the teat like a good one and Jesus said a similar thing he said in John sixteen twelve, I have many things to tell you but you can't bear them yet and it's this capacity to bear strong truth that is actually missing in the body of Christ these days because of that people are unskilled in righteousness. So they can't take teaching on righteousness, they can't take the meat and apply it in their own lives because they are unskilled. When you're skilled it means you take the word and you make it work in your own life, you apply it, you live by those things. So the major criticism of the, the Hebrew Christians uh, was that they couldn't discern between good and evil. The inability to process truth leaves us without any cover of discernment whatsoever. So you can end up blaming the devil for something God's doing and trying to take authority over God for what he's doing and vice versa. Because we don't understand the ways of God. So it's almost... Um, impossible to discern the hand of the enemy actually when you start trying to take authority over God 
Many people don't like to accept that what is happening in their lives is being allowed by God for their growth. They want to blame it on the devil and get a quick release. As I'm always saying, we need to know who is doing what to whom in any given situation and circumstance, and then we can see how to move forward. Is this God? Is this the devil? Are you nailing something in my life? Is this training for raining? Am I reaping what I've sown? Good questions. Sometimes it's a mixture of them all. So a lack of application of truth leaves us wide open to having no discernment functioning in our lives. So we can't tell truth from error and there's no discerning of good and evil. And we get into trouble, depressed, despondent, and we wonder why. So 1 John 1 9, which you'll all be faith, uh, familiar with, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And one of the foundations of life in the Spirit is that we know how to confess our sin and that we know how to cleanse ourselves and continually keep ourselves clean before Him. I'm constantly amazed at the number of Spirit-filled people of many years standing who are still prone, I said it I think earlier in the weekend, to condemnation. It's the baby stuff of life and we should be able to recognise the difference between guilt and condemnation and many people don't. I will give a word and they'll say you're making me feel condemned. No I'm not darling, that's conviction. You're feeling guilty because God has just put his finger on something. But the easy way out that throws the guilt if you like onto the person who's bringing the word is you, you make me feel condemned. I'm not making you feel anything. You are actually experiencing something there and it is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We're not familiar with it. Guilt is a friend. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to make you feel bad when you are bad, as I said yesterday. I think. It leads you to the feet of Jesus. It leads you to confession and it leads you to cleansing. So you pick yourself up, dust yourself off and you start all over again. Condemnation, on the other hand, is an enemy and of the enemy because it makes us feel that God doesn't love us and we can't approach him, that he's fed up with us, that he's disillusioned with us and he thinks we should be further on than we are, which is not the truth. And so all that stuff is baby stuff and you can't discern between good and evil and that is baby stuff. We need to be able to know when God is speaking to us we know when we're being convicted of something and we really know when we're being accused by the enemy. So we have to settle it at the front end, as Henry Blackaby would say, God loves us. He loves you. Christ has made us accepted in the Beloved. Any condemnation doesn't come from God. Any accusation doesn't come from Him. Those are the works of the evil one. Write it down. Settle it. God loves you because of who he is, not because of who you are. He has set his love upon you because of Christ's work on the cross. They decided back there before the foundation of the earth that they wanted you. And Jesus paid the bride price. The covenant is between the Father and the Son, not between you and God. You had no part of making that covenant. He is the reason he loves you. It's a bit of a pill to swallow. Mm. You are the reason you love me. It's not to do with any intrinsic loveliness about me. You're mine. I'm having you. I paid the price. I've been in, bought the thing, the item. You're mine. Because the value he set upon us is the death of his son. So that makes us priceless. Uh, 
so we can say that I am worth what Jesus paid for me. I, I got the girls saying that a few weeks ago, can you say to your neighbour, I'm worth what Jesus paid for me? Because it's not easy for us to say that because we want to be sort of like false modesty. Mm. Oh no, I'm unworthy. No, I'm worth what it, I must be because he said so mm. and he paid the price. So it's all to do with the price that he set on it and the value that he sets on you. So all we've got to do is come in agreement with the value he sets on us. So he's the reason that he loves you. He was the reason he loved Israel. If you know your Old Testament, you'll know that he said to them, the Lord your God, this bottom down a peg or two, did not set his love upon you because of how wonderful you were, but because he chose you. That's my um, paraphrase there. So baptism, then I talk to people all the time who seem to fall prey to the same sins again and again and I say to them, have you been baptised? Yes. Well then you need to live in the truth of your baptism. Baptism declares that we are dead in Christ, it's no longer us that live, it's him. One life to be lived, his. So many people do not actually live in the truth of their baptism in water. When I was baptised, I went through all the classes because I was with a Baptist church at the time. When I came up out of that water, not only was I absolutely bawling my eyes out, which went on, I was wet all over and it was coming out of my eyes as well. There was like a, a brick of solid knowing on my inside. I knew I was forgiven. But with a lot of people, it's something that happened to them, but it's not an event that is current in their life. They made a statement often has a tea party and forgot about it. But it's a foundational thing. He that is dead is free from sin, so we get to choose where we live. I'm leaving the demonic out of here and uh, healing issues too, because sometimes because of the demonic we're not able to stop things because we're compelled. Uh, the enemy compels, you know, and that's something different. What I'm speaking about now is that God declared at the moment of baptism that we were too bad to be cleansed, we had to be crucified. If we don't understand this, we keep trying to do a makeover on that old thing, we keep trying to pump life into it, resurrecting it, patting when it's good, telling it off when it's naughty, good dog, bad dog. Joyce had a dream, didn't you? At the top of a hill, weren't you? And you came slithering down this hill very quickly and at the bottom of the hill was a black dog. And she's not very good with dogs, don't like them too much, but this one was very friendly. And it was so pleased to see her. Black one wagging its tail and she made a fuss of it. And when we prayed into it, I said to her, that is your old nature, dear. It's so pleased to see you. <laughs> you've come, you've, you've slid on something and it's so pleased to see you. You've come back to doing things the old way. <laughs> Dog, white dog, oh, lovely to see you. I've been waiting here for you at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> so God's not going to do a makeover on the old. You are a totally new creation in Christ. You have a new DNA. You are literally born from above. You're twice born. If we lived in the truth of our rebirth, we would be amazed at what we actually got. That's why sometimes I give people the seed so that they can see they are born again of incorruptible seed. That seed in you will not sin. The other part of you might, but John says, doesn't he, you've been born again of incorruptible seed 
and you cannot sin. So people say to me, but it says in John I can't sin. No, no, that's the good bit in there. <laughs> that's the new nature. So what we're dealing with here is habit patterns. Simply that. So we go back to the truth of baptism until it becomes true in our experience, righteousness restored, and we really get to choose where we live, in Christ or out. At the moment we were born again, we were plunged by the Spirit into Christ. If you do a Bible study on the words in Christ, you'll see what I mean. Paul talks about it all the time. And then he refers to in the Lord. And when he's talking about in the Lord, he's talking about behaviour. How you should behave. Seeing you are in the Lord, don't do this sort of thing. Different positional when it's in Christ, in the Lord is, is behavioural. But these are all foundational things and we need to move on. The fact is that the truth doesn't set you free until you experience it. That's why a head full of knowledge is useless. It has to be applied in our lives and become part of us. I was an adulteress and a drinker and then I was born again and both stopped. Dead. No more. Finito. Finish. End. So how did I do that? I got baptised and I died. The old me no longer exists. I won't own her. I'm not proud of her. I don't know her. She's dead. She's buried. Praise God. That's the end of her. I don't own her at all. Good riddance. So what made me able to turn so radically from one way of life to another? My relationship it was with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit which was so precious to me. Mm. I did not any longer need or want to indulge my fleshly appetites as I told the man I was with when we broke up. I am complete. He was actually utterly devastated because unwittingly in saying that, I told him, I don't need you. And I remember it now. The balloon went up, as they say. For the first time in my life, I was whole and satisfied. This doesn't mean that the honeymoon went on forever. I learned that I had to do what the word says, reckon myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. I had my moments of testing, and some of them are quite hilarious, the situations I nearly got myself into, but I won't tell you about those now. But my desire for God was greater than my desire to yield to the flesh and its habits. And my flesh has the same appetites as yours, but I work to keep it under control. God is actually just reminding me of something really that would sound so innocent. Um, some of you know about this one. Um, there were, uh, I knew a couple at the church where I lived, uh, where I went, and, sh and she was very sick, had been very sick for many years. And while I was up seeing Joyce this particular time, early in my Christian walk, we were friends, us, us three together, um, she died. And I didn't get back home in time for the funeral. So, of course, when I came back to the fellowship, there he was. And I thought, oh, bless his heart, I'll ask him up for a meal, you know make him feel a bit better and on the way home because I used to drive down to Paddock Wood for, for my fellowship quite a long way from where I was living the presence of the Lord left me and I was driving along seven mile lane and I said father what have I done what have I done what have I, the, what have I done and he said 
when you get home, pick up the phone and tell him he can't come over. I don't want him to come over for a meal. 11 o'clock at night this is, so I got home about 20 past 11, picked up the phone, rang him and said, look, I'm ever so sorry. God said, I am um, not to do that. And he was very good about it. He said, that's fine, don't worry about it. You know, the relationship stood the strain of it. I have to say that had I gone ahead with that plan, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be doing this. Because what God showed me some 11 years later, when he was at a meal with Joyce and I, we used to have, uh, no, it wasn't that long later, sorry, a couple of years later, we were down here. Um, we'd been called by then to Paddockwood and, and we used to have what we called potluck suppers and anybody could come and a number of people got saved, didn't we? Because we used to feed them and give them the gospel. It's all long before Alpha started. Um, and we were all having this meal, about 10 or 11 of us around the table and suddenly he turned to someone next to him and said, well, yes, you know, the night that my wife died, she said to me, I want you to marry Beryl. Oh. <laughs> I got up from the table and I ran out. At that point, I knew why God had said, don't. Because you can imagine, he's in distress. One thing happened, mm -hmm. lead to another. We're already friends. I got on extremely well with him because we, we used to have the same sense of humour. I mean, it would have just been a little short step. Mm -hmm. I, I thought if I'd have done that, I'd have never have been here. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have to do things that do not seem to our rational minds right. In the natural, you think, well, that's not very kind. Mm -hmm. Poor bloke's just been bereaved. But what I didn't know at the time, that I, when he had been bereaved, the Lord said to him, are you ready to, to be real with me now? Because all the time his wife was alive, he idolised her. And he wouldn't have a proper relationship with the Lord. So it's like God had to take her home in order for him to have that relationship. So people often say to me, I don't feel I've got the power to stop these things. I've got, oh, you know, I've got this drive to do these things. And what have healing's got to do with it? If you're baptised in the Spirit, then you have the power. And you have to line your will up with the truth of the Word of God and not with what you feel. The very Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead indwells you, read Ephesians. Our task is to get to know Him. There are two wills at work in us, the will of the Spirit and your human will. And as I said yesterday or the day before, the only safe place for your human will is in the hands of God. That way he will keep you. See now why I gave my will back to God, can't you? Got myself in scrapes like this. So I had to give it to him so that I wouldn't make the wrong choices. That way he will keep you. He'd give it to him. Yielding up. So the next thing he says to them is about laying on of hands. When we lay hands on someone we're imparting what we have in us. So every one of us has got something to give. We just need to give that blessing that we have and uh, God will give you another one. It's like uh, Peter said, didn't he? Such as I have, I give you. So uh, I really feel that I mean, Mary was sharing something with me at lunchtime that this is the time where, like Graham said, in the front of his little book here, and I read it a couple of days ago, I strongly believe that a major shift is coming in the Western Church 
we're embarking on a time when the church will stop explaining who God is and begin proclaiming his nature, his acts and his glory. And that is the time we're coming into. Uh, that we are not going to go around apologising for him. And we're not going to go around apologising that we're Christians, like hiding our light under a bushel. But there's an impartation that takes place when hands are laid on you. That's why I'm very fussy about who slaps their tabs on me. And the principle of alternative medicines, I'm not having them putting their mitts on me when they've been worshipping at the altar of Satan somewhere in something they believe. Someone told me a story the other day about they were in church and there was a wedding service and that all went very well till, till the end of it. And the vicar started calling on Mother Sun and Father Moon or something. Oh, oh dear. And, and she said, I, th I think it was a lady, she, I was absolutely horrified it had all gone quite straightforward until that moment. Oh. You just, you've got to be discerning what's happening these days. It's, it's appalling out there. Oh. <laughs> The danger of impartation of the wrong kind is very, very real. You put yourself under them and you can expect to get clobbered sooner or later because of what they're involved in. Satan doesn't make allowances for the fact you don't understand or don't believe there's any danger in alternatives. He just takes every opportunity he can to defy you and gain entrance. And that's part of our growing up process. And the church is not a place where we come to receive. Church is a place where you come to express the life that God has given you. So bless as many people as you can while you're here. And then practice it when you get home so nobody will be safe from a blessing when you're around. Because the more you give of that life that God has given you, the more you will receive of the life of God. That's the principle of life in the spirit. You give it away, gives it back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. That's why I have to get rid of some of the stuff I've got. Because if I empty my barns out, he's going to pour more in. Mm -hmm. had a picture once of a... I was down at the house at Northiam with the Jen Larkham on team down there. And there was a huge barn. I could see out of the window, black doors closed. And I could just see a crack through. And suddenly it all started talking, you know the way it does. And they used to pour the... The, the grain in and of course the pile of grain would start from the floor up like this and he sort of opened these doors in my imagination I could see this huge pile of grain and from the funnel at the top it was just getting more and it was all cascading down your picture of the birds coming and the seed so I knew I'd got this barn full of grain, if you like, and I'd, I've just been waiting for the Lord to open the doors and say, there's corn in Egypt, come and help yourself. So the more I pour out, the more he will pour in. It's basic, basic stuff. So Paul was talking to these people about the foundations of life and ministry, but he says, we've got to move on from this. And this really is the crossroads, I think, that the church is at right now. Um, we've got to get secure in our foundational understanding and then move on. With the church, it seems as though it's not, it's not the place um, where we start. They think we're at the finishing line when we start. It isn't. It's the starting point. It's the place where you start from, the launching pad. The foundations are the launching pad. But you often find that Christians are held back um, by the lack of the basics and they're held up in their faith because they haven't got the basics 
and if they have got faith they aren't using the little bit they have got mm. because faith is like a muscle it needs exercise just like your will you need to exercise it the more you exercise it the stronger it gets so you'll find yourself in situations and circumstances that will stretch your faith in order that you go from faith to faith we don't like it but that's the way we grow by stretching um, Graham Cook's XPA was here for a couple of days uh, some weeks ago and I think it was this time or was it the time before Joyce when they came and she looked at me and she said God's going to stretch you she said I see like the mouth of a um, of a, a bag she said and he's going to I said oh thanks very much <laughs> <laughs> pull it open stretch it make it bigger mm -hmm. so we don't like the stretching process and we'll do everything cover every base in order not to have to allow ourselves to be stretched because it can be painful for a while and we shy away from that and as a result we say babies but we have to leave these basics and move on. So the next scripture I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 3. He's been talking about the natural man and the spiritual man and how different they are because in verse 14 of the chapter before he says but the natural man doesn't accept the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him I'm reading from the New American Standard again and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised but he who is spiritual appraises all things yet he himself is appraised by no man for who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him but we have the mind of Christ so he goes on to say in chapter 3 and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. He's telling them what they're like, the spiritual men, but I can't talk to you like that. But as men of flesh, as to babes, nepios, that's our first word, nepios in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you weren't yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one, one says, I'm of Paul, the other, I'm of Apollos. Are you not mere men? What's Apollos? What's Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. At the next verse, because it's lovely. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. God's very agricultural, you know. Plants seeds, waters it, brings the frost. You know that story about the two monks? And they both had a little planted a little fir tree and one planted his fir tree and left it but the other one thought i'm going to tend this so he watered it and he dug around it and he went out there every night and he made sure it was all right and it died oh. so he said to the other one yours is thriving why is that so he said well i i just felt that god would look after it so he sent the sun and the rain and the frost and the snow <laughs> And it put down roots and it grew. <laughs> Sometimes we can fuss with it too much, messing with it. So he says here in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual people but carnal, as nepios, 
I fed you with milk, not with solid food because you're not able to have it. And then he goes into why they like it. Again, it's a significant criticism of the in the body of Christ. I want to treat you, God says, like mature people, but there's little evidence of that going on. So I have to treat you like babies. It is so, isn't it? There's envy and there's strife. There's division, just like the Corinthian church. And he says, the most irresponsible thing I could do would be to give you fresh revelation because you haven't actually processed the revelation God's already given you. You can't keep taking it in and not putting it into practice. Do you remember I said right early on, I don't want to give you more revelation if you haven't processed what you've got already because that'll just give you indigestion. And again, those of you who come on a Wednesday, when Stephen was little, he rescued a baby thrush, a nest and all. So we kept this baby thrush on the top of the, uh, the gas fire, just at the right temperature, sitting in its nest. And we very quickly discovered that every time you passed your hand over, its little beak opened. So then out in the garden we go to collect worms, don't we? And chop them up into small pieces to feed the little baby bird. Open up. In it goes. We're stuffing these worms in like a good one. Swallowing them down. And then we discovered nothing was coming out the other end. And one morning the thing just went... Killed over. Because <laughs> it hadn't processed what it had been given. And the Lord reminds me of that. He says, you know, you can't give them stuff if they haven't processed what they've got already. Oh, they'll just keel over solid from top to bottom. He probably had worms up to there, you know. Nothing was digesting because we couldn't do whatever his mother does with them. You know? We did try, though. So add a little funeral and put him to rest. Oh, <laughs> oh we had a succession of birds and animals and butterflies and <laughs> he was one of those frogs and oh classic one was when I took him over the park and we caught tiddlers that was lovely he was about three and I just left him in the garden for a moment with his tiddler jar and when I came out he'd laid them all out to dry <laughs> in an orderly row <laughs> all got stories like that and we were their children so Paul, with the Corinthians, highlights the words envy and strife, jealousy, critical nature, all manifestations of the carnal nature in their lives. And here you've got people who know the language, but it's always your actions under stress that reveal your character. And that's actually why we need stressful situations in our life, because it's like God's taking the temperature. You're sailing along thinking, I'm doing all right here, you know, I haven't blown it lately, this is fine. So he says, well, uh, would you like to know exactly where you are? <laughs> so he lets it happen. And suddenly you get to the point where you are reacting and the stressful situation brings out our true character and our nature. And it's not pretty at times, but he's saying, well, this is actually where you are and here's the evidence. And you blow up. So he says, shall we work together on it? In the physical realm, those of us who've had children know that it's year one walking, second year talking, but in the spiritual realm, it's completely different. You can have someone who's been a Christian for three years coming into maturity. You can have someone who's been a Christian for 25 years and they're still babies. 
Age means nothing in the realm of the spirit because God doesn't measure time, he measures growth. And you can't measure yourself. So that's ever so unfortunate. You can't get hold of that tape measure and think, my word, I'm doing well there because he'll immediately put something in your way and you find that I'm not really quite where I thought I was. So being a Christian for 20 years does not make you mature. Age has no relevance in the realm of the spirit whatsoever. Some believers never make full maturity in God the whole of their life and they die babies, which is quite sad. We're really going to look at Nepios now. Four designated areas of growth. I would say there were really five, but we can look at four main ones in the New Testament, characterised by descriptive words in the Greek, and I've already mentioned Nepios, so we're really going to look at Nepios now. And that's the first area, the baby stage, which is a baby in arms. And so having read uh, from 1 Corinthians 3, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual, but as babes, that's the word there, that's Nepios, an immature be believer. I have to treat you as a baby in arms because of your behaviour. It's all about behaviour. See, it's not positional, it's behaviour. We're all in Christ, we're all seated in heavenly places, but our behaviour is what shows where we're at. So the evidence of their baby in arms syndrome was simply their carnality. I can't speak to you as spiritual, but carnal. And 1 Corinthians 13:11 says, When I was a child, this is Nepios again, I spoke as a child. But if I'm going to become a huios, then I've got to put away those childish things. There's a sense in which we have to move from that particular place. And in Galatians 4 it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, that's nepios again, uh, does not differ from a sl as long as he is a child, nepios, he doesn't differ from a slave at all. And though he, although he is master of all, it's like us. We have the potential to become sons. We all of us have that. Interesting statement. We can be heirs of God. But if our capacity to appropriate what God's given us is immature, we may as well be slaves. Because we're not actually going to inherit anything. We may as well be slaves. If we're not pressing on to maturity, we might as well be slaves. Because our capacity to inherit goes hand in hand with our growth. And he goes on to say, that child is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. And babies need constant help and support. They need stewarding. That's why at the moment one of the big challenges to the church is actually to have fathers and mothers in Christ in the church. Who understand the growth process. And because we have to be taking people from one stage to another. And we have to get out of the habit of just throwing words at people and make sure that they actually put them into practice. That's why teaching without discipleship is futile and self-defeating. I can give you theology, practicals, you can go away with a notebook full, but if I don't check up and find out how you're doing, how it's actually applying in your life. This is why I like continuity with people, not just people just coming in and out. I never would want to be someone who goes in, I'm not a blessing prophet, I'm a building prophet, and I know that. So I'd much rather work with two or three... S s <laughs> Sorry. 
does it every time. I'd much rather work with two or three people who I can keep my eye on and ask them how they're doing and not checking up on them but helping them through the various ages and stages as I'm going through the ages and stages myself so that I'm growing them up in God. <laughs> Do you think we should give a little nudge? <laughs> Excuse me. So we do need to understand the stages that people are going through. And our teaching allied with the discipleship takes them out of one stage into another for a necessary time and then moves them into another. That was our steps and stairs that we had yesterday. So we actively see people progress from one state to another. So if we are in leadership, we should see and know who are our little babies, our nepios, the new Christians. We should be, that's why I said I pretty know where people are, because that's part of my job, is to see where people are and to help them move on to the next place. So we should understand there are certain things that have to go on in their lives, but at some point we've got to move them on to the next stage and we have to make them grow up, just as we have done with our own children. So there is a process of teaching and discipleship which needs to be realised in people's lives and maybe this is where the, the big change that is coming that God is raising up mothers and fathers in the church that really care about the people. The biggest complaint has been that they don't really care because they can't because they've got the wrong love as we were talking about uh, before. We're eros driven not agape but that is part of the reformation that God is doing and it will happen. Mm. Ephesians 4.14 says that we should no longer be children, that is nepios, tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but speaking the truth in love we may grow up. It's worth having a look at, isn't it? Ephesians 4.14 Here, it's, this is again talking about the fivefold ministries. The fivefold ministries are there to prepare the church for the works of service. They're not there to do the service themselves. They're there to teach, to train, to release. Uh, and uh, it's just all got upside down. Everything's been up the front and nothing has happened from the body, but it seems as though God is turning that round. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, huios, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together like that comb, Pitted and held together by that, that was, a, that was an affirmative, <laughs> by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. And this is where he says you no longer walk 
as the Gentiles walk. You know, he goes on to say, so don't walk as you used to walk. Don't be like that, be like this. That's another teaching altogether, isn't it? One of the major signs of someone who is actually mature is how they handle truth, especially how they handle truth about somebody else. What you see, how you handle that truth, how you approach it, will determine your maturity. You may find, I mean, Graham tells the story, doesn't he, of how he found out something about a guy in the fellowship, and he thought, right, I'm going round there to tell him. I know. He's on his way. God said, where are you going? Well, I'm going to go and tell someone. So he said, we had that sort of love-hate relationship. We hated to love each other, and we loved to hate each other. That was the relationship they had in fellowship. You can tell this was a long time ago. So he's stomping round to tell this man, and God said to him, take another step and you're a dead man. <coughs> Turn round, go back fast till I tell you to stop. So he said, 30 days later, by which time God had totally broken him, go round and see the man, Father, I can't do that. I just can't. I couldn't. It would break his heart. I can't. I can't. And please, I can't do that. Three days this argument went on, and finally he went round there. He knocks on the door, man opens the door, bursts into tears. I've been praying that God would send someone. I've, I've, for the last 30 days, I've been praying that some, God would send somebody. I've done a terrible thing. <laughs> God has so worked on Graham's heart. So when God gives you some information about a situation, it's not so that you might think, I knew it. You're just showing your immaturity. Because even in the handing of you a piece of information that he does, he is testing your maturity about how you will handle that truth, how you will, if you're told to bring it, sometimes you don't say it, you pray it. Often with prophetic things, God shows you things, and what do you want me to do with this, Father? Is it a say it or pray it? And it's a pray it. There have been situations in the, in the church, particularly here, near here, where my heart has, has ached for what has gone on in the leadership. Now that leadership actually totally, um, what was the word I want, rejected myself as a person and as a ministry. But I knew that was part of my training, because rejection for the prophetic is part of the training. So I started to pray for them and to intercede for them. So when the news came of what happened, I felt so sorry. Um, there's no part for me in it, except to, to pray for them, keep holding them up before the Lord, that they will actually get to see what God is saying in the situation. They actually had the opportunity to have Graham as oversight and turned it down, which I think was the beginning of that because he would have brought correction he has an apostolic gifting as well as a prophetic and so he would have said well this this area is where you need to be working on and and he would have shown them because God would have shown him but they didn't want to hear that so God has had to let them go into a different position so that maybe he can stop them there and tell them then because he's not really fussed about whether we got buildings or congregations or he isn't interested in that he's interested in our growth at every every single one of them 
so if he gives you a word about a situation he will be testing you too about how if you've to bring it you're going to bring that because he will make a way for that word to come but it's like the word I had this morning it's how the tone of your voice in which you bring it you could you you know you can say a thing in in it um, you know look here beloved you've got to start growing up or I can say beloved it's time we grew uh, and that is all part of our process the word is coming and, and it is doing its work but it isn't lacerating at the same time because what is happening there is the spirit my spirit will become involved if I'm being harsh with the person that I'm bringing the word to like you know it's about flipping time they lined up we're showing ourselves isn't we're just showing ourselves babies yet that's okay it's all part of our process so mature sons will the sons will approach it in a different way. <coughs> Excuse me. So mature sons will uh, approach the same situation in t a totally different way. Babies will approach it in one way and mature sons will approach it in a completely different way. And when you begin to come into maturity in God and understand his heart it is sweet it is because he is so kind even when he's disciplining I sat down this morning and that book made me laugh dare to discipline he was saying to me Beryl dare to discipline <laughs> don't like it uh, but sometimes that just has to be done in order that people can grow so babies are tossed about by every wind of doctrine. They hear one thing, they lead towards it. They hear another one and they lead towards that. Uh, they're always going in between things, never quite settle on the truth. And the Corinthian church spent most of its time listening for something new. Because that's very Greek. You notice in, in uh, Acts, Paul says, you know, I know that you're always looking for something new. They always wanted what was the new thing. So that made them up and down because they were actually sucking everything up the good the bad and the ugly like a vacuum cleaner and they were lazy they wouldn't check out to see the things of the word of god to see if it was so so they were carried about and they, as a result they were unstable and they were taken in by trickery they were deceived by cunning people and they couldn't actually express the truth in love so some of the hallmarks then of a baby wrong thinking careless talk no discernment still learning baby things, a capacity to be upset easily by things in life, sometimes to take offence very easily, uh, involvement in envy, strife and divisiveness and taking sides. Um, so that's the sort of things that you will see operating in the life of a nepios. So then you can, when you see people and you can gently encourage them to come away from the nepios stage feed them with what you can see that they need and stand back and watch them grow okay so at this stage uh, of growth like babies they can be often very self-centered um, they live by their senses and not by their spiritual perceptions so they're always governed by what they think and what they feel and what they taste and what they smell and these things are still under the government of their soul rather than the spirit 
um, which is what you would say is what is the spirit saying to us in this and the hardest thing with this stage of the children is what's God saying in this oh no 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 don't want to know that they want to tell you what the person's been saying yeah but what's God saying in this ever so hard to get to get to move them over what's the scripture saying oh no no don't want to know that but we have to bring them into some sort of growth so that we ally the scripture and the spirit together against what they're thinking and feeling and when we do that we bring their faith down on the right side of truth and not just the things that they perceive to be true vast difference between what I see with my natural eye and what I see with my spiritual eye I always say that I see with my ears and hear with my eyes uh, because that sounds a contradiction in terms but I watch people and I listen to where they what they speak of and I can see from that where they're at in their Christian so I can come in accurately where they are in their walk I don't come in up here someone said they went to spring harvest and it was feeding the, I said they're feeding your giraffes were they dear <laughs> instead of the lambs God didn't say feed my giraffes he said feed my lambs oh she said it was going on about eschatology couldn't spell the word let alone anything else <laughs> and so you have to know and, and have that as a sideline yeah <laughs> where where they are so there's a vast difference between what we see and what will happen when carnality is there people will observe with their eye and observe with their ear and come to a conclusion that is usually over here somewhere and it's not true because they're using their natural senses and they're not coming to the Lord and saying Father is what I see right am I actually seeing this or is it some other way that you're seeing it often God will say to me um, what do you see and I say to him, you don't want to know what I see because I'm probably being critical. No, tell me what you see. So I tell him what I see and he says, you see right. Oh, okay. So what do you want to do in this, Father? What do you want to say? How do you want me to pray? How do I position myself? Because he's never criticising the person. He's never actually judging them. He's saying, I want to move you from this place to that place and so he's he's giving me the information sometimes I pray sometimes I say it um, it is a, a, a great privilege to be to hear from God about how he sees things in people and what he wants to do to move them on you know it's just so lovely it's part of the loveliness of the relationship with him so everything for these little ones is on an emotional or physical level and they're locked into feelings and they're often quite attention seeking just like children when they're hungry two o'clock in the morning wah want some food doesn't matter it's two o'clock in the morning I need to be fed I mean just as we were starting the school someone rang a little nepios rang and Joyce asked what it was about. Well, I want to know what the diatrophanes means. Well, it doesn't really matter. It's someone's name. No, but I must know. I must know right now. I said to Joyce, Nepios. Baby. <laughs> and they are. They're just not long a Christian. So they want feeding right now. I need it now. <laughs> and they need constant reassurance. And they kick up a fuss till their knees get met. Uh, so you know what babies are like. They like sweet things. They don't like the savoury. They don't like the things that push away what you're giving them. They want what they want. 
but it's just a stage. But the real trouble comes when there are Christians who are 20 or 30 years old and they are still as insecure and demanding as they were at six months old. So you see, it all depends on what you do with the truth you have. If this is a young believer, it's okay. They should enjoy it because they're coming into a period of grace. I always call it the honeymoon period, you know. Um, the grace and favour in the life of God. And there's a tremendous wellspring of God's grace and love and mercy available to them this, at this stage. And there's really nothing wrong with that. If they're a baby Christian, we shouldn't be depriving them of that. And we shouldn't be chivying them too soon. We should teach people, though, how to enjoy the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and not put guilt trips on them uh, about you should be doing this and you should be reading your Bible more and you should stop doing that. And isn't it a favourite one in the Pentecostal church? You're still smoking and you're a Christian. <laughs> you're still drinking and you're a Christian. Yeah. You know, that's got nothing to do with it, really. Having boyfriends. Having boyfriends. Going out with an unbeliever. <laughs> God will put the brakes on when he's good and ready. So as mothers and fathers, we should help them to enjoy the grace of God at this baby stage of their life. So the problem is when people want to live there for the rest of their lives. I mean, I'm always saying, if you've got an, a nine-month-old, ten-month-old, year-old baby and it sticks his porridge on his head, you clear it up and you laugh. When he gets to 13 or 14 and he does the same thing, <laughs> That is not the way you treat it. So it's exactly the same. When they're putting their porridge on their head at 13, then we have to cheer them on a bit. But there is this necessary period of adjusting to the loving kindness of God where we get them out of the world system of thinking and into God's way of thinking and seeing and doing things. At the early stage, people must be accepted and affirmed in Christ. And sometimes I think it's the lack of affirmation which is one of the more serious sins in the body of Christ. We don't affirm people and accept them for who they are and where they are when they first come in and become Christians. Immediately we want to be tidying up, you know, gut the fish and clean them. Uh, this takes time and it, it differs for all of us. For me, I was really blessed. It happened for me really quickly. I came in and everything fell away. Men, booze and fags fell off within the first six months. It was very fast for me. So they do need support and guidance to offload baggage that they've collected. So people do need support and guidance to offload the baggage they've collected from the world. But also they're beginning to learn the ways of life in the spirit. And those ways have to be earthed in the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God, which we can't... Will you stop serving stuff up? <laughs> For those listening on the CD, it's ten past four and the cake and the tea have just arrived. And I've lost the attention of those <laughs> listening. <laughs> so gathering ourselves together while they've got their faces full of cake and tea and they can't answer back. When you've got new babes in the church, shower them with the love and the mercy and the kindness of God, but also teach them 
This is the way that the Holy Spirit likes to do things and if you do it like this you'll get on much better if you just fall in line with his ways. So teach them the ways of God but don't just lay guilt trips on them.